0: at Go Pest Free. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: sermon is pre-recorded. The message the Lord has given me for us this morning is find your wholeness in Jesus. Find your wholeness in Jesus. In the book of first John, there is one verse, That summarizes the whole book. At first it seems like a latent addition, but when read carefully it summarizes everything the Apostle John wants to say to us. Let's pray now and ask the Lord to quicken this to our hearts. Lord, I ask that as I unfold this word, as you've given it to me, that you would uncover the depths of our heart and cause us to turn and find our wholeness in you. Lord, I thank you and I praise your holy name. Amen. In 1 John, the 5th chapter, verse 21, the scripture is just one sentence. Little children, you must protect yourselves from the idols. It seems almost like an afterthought but it's not it's the very heart an idol is that which it's that which prevents us from finding the fullness of god that is a man's idol is that from which he seeks his happiness and his comfort. An idol is that from which a man seeks wealth or pleasure, human friendships, books, music, CDs, food, fine houses, beautiful cars, internet, entertainment, cell phones, movies, sexual satisfaction, work, success, children, family, or any earthly or heavenly thing which prevents a person from seeking and finding his all in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like I am, you have called yourself a Christian And yet, when carefully examined, I found the lice of idols in my heart. Many, not big idols, little idols. Like Jacob's wives hiding the family's little mini-idols, carrying them from Uncle Laban to the promised land. So as we make the journey to the promised land, these lice attach themselves to us and suck our blood and prevent us from ever finally Coming into a place of rest in Jesus. They are distractions. They harm us. I just, out of interest, plugged into an internet search engine the word idols. came up with 10 pages of biblical references to idols. Let me just read some of these to you quickly. The first one was Leviticus 19:4. Turn ye not unto idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. Or if you look at Leviticus And I will destroy your high places and cut down your images and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. There is simply nothing that makes God so distant from his people as an idol. Deuteronomy 29.17, and ye have seen their abominations and their idols, wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them. You go through and just read scripture after scripture with the Lord upset with his people because of their idols. Ezekiel 6, 9. And they that escape of you shall remember me among the nations, whither they shall be carried captives, because I am broken with their whorish heart, which hath departed from me, and with their eyes which go whoring after their idols. And they shall loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all of their abominations. What are the evils being referred to? Finding our satisfaction in something other than Jesus Christ. Ezekiel fourteen six. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Or Ezekiel 27, Then saith I unto them, Cast ye away every man the abomination of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Egypt is a symbol of the world in Scripture. So he's saying, what are you looking at? Those are idols. If you gain comfort, if you gain a moment of inner peace, because you have turned to something not given to you by Jesus, you are participating in an idol. Just a couple more that I'd like to share with you. I mean, these go on page after page after page of idols. And then you come to the New Testament. Second Corinthians 6.16 What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God is saying, I'm going to come and dwell in you, I'm going to come and walk around inside of you. Obviously, this is a deep spiritual truth that God is unfolding for us. If we look at 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, verse 19, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living God and true God. So the gods of our age are very plain to all of us. Television, internet, cell phones, relationships, food, whatever it is that we go out and grab and growl to somehow satiate our heart separate from what Jesus would give to us is by definition an idol. In Numbers 13, we find the story of some men being sent out to explore Cana land. He was giving it to them as a gift. The leaders of the people went out to explore the land. He gave them very specific instruction, go up through the Negev. Because the Negev is where Masada is. It's the desert land. It's the dry land. You take that road up through the desert into what is called the hill country. Going all the way into the hill country of Galilee. Where it is subtropical. Where bananas grow beautifully on trees where flowers are blossoming, where the irrigation has caused abundant harvest of every kind of fruit. You remember, one bunch of grapes was so large, it took two men and a pole to carry it. That meant those grapes were probably the size of small peaches, I mean, can you imagine having to bite into a grape that takes you as long to eat as you would eat a peach? Now that's a piece of fruit I want in my mouth. So they were sent up into this land, and as they went, they were told to examine the people. Are they strong or weak, few or many? What's the soil like in this land? Are the cities walled or unfortified? And then bring back some of the of the fruit because it was the season for grapes to be ripe. So they went up into the Negev and on into the hill country. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And they reported... What they had found, including sharing the fruit of the land. And they said it does flow with milk and honey. And no doubt the milk being referred to is not cow's milk or goat's milk. This is the honey and this is the milk of the palm. But they said the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Enoch there. That is, we saw the giants there. The Amalekites, a very warlike desert people that they have acquainted themselves with, live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, they all live in the hill country. And then the Canaanites live down along the sea. The Philistines. Caleb, in verse 30, silences the people before Moses and says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, no, 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 no. We can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread a a report among the Israelites, a bad report. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of a great size. We saw the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak. We seemed like grasshoppers in in our eyes, and we looked the same to them. See, the question is not what we see with our eyes or what our enemy sees of us. It is what Jesus sees. It's how he views us. And frankly, the National Prayer Chapel is right now in this place. Are we going to go into the city of Washington and take the promised land? Or are we going to remain in the desert? I'm not interested in remaining in the desert. I'm interested in going in and taking the land for Jesus Christ. I'm interested in a proclamation of the gospel that will stir the city. I'm not interested in wandering for the next 40 years in the wilderness. Guys, I don't have the time to do it. I'll be gone. I don't think you have the time either to wander any longer in the desert. My heart shivered when David said this morning in his prayer, there may be some desert time ahead. No, I've been in the desert. I'm done with the desert. I'm ready for the promised land. But the question is, will we enter into that promised land? And the answer to that question will lie in where our idols are. The idols of a normalcy bias. Frankly, for me, life has been very tough for a long time. That should no longer be expected in some kind of normalcy bias, that life is not going to dramatically change for each one of us. And the only reason life will not change is if we cling to our unreality and cling to our heart hurts and cling to our idols that have comforted us while we have been in the desert. I'm not interested in that. the people that night in chapter 14 raise their voices and they begin to weep. They begin to weep because of the bad report and they now see that it is impossible for them to go into the promised land. Now, can I be very blunt with you all? If you're stuck in the desert, it is impossible for you to emerge from the desert in your strength. It is going to be the strength of the Lord Jesus, who gives us clear direction. And as we follow that direction, He will move in supernatural power to deliver us. But He will not deliver us if we hold to our desert clothing and our desert ways. Now, those perhaps gave us comfort. But then we have to come to a place where we say, look, something new has to happen. And I can tell you now, nothing new happens until you step into the rushing Jordan River with your feet getting wet. And as you step into the Jordan, the Jordan parts and allows you to enter the promised land. So please, I'm saying very clearly, there are giants in the land. There is a great deal of competition from others. There are issues of health. There are issues of of money. There are issues of all kinds that face us. Doesn't matter if the idols are put away and forgiveness is granted, not pardon. Forgiveness is granted. The idols are removed from us. We renounce them, we cast them away from ourselves. We admit before Jesus. Those idols existed. And I confess today, I have had an idol in my heart of relationship. I cannot have that. You cannot save me. I cannot save you. While we are given to one another for love and fellowship, for encouragement, our fullness must be in Jesus and not in relationship with one another, even in husband or wife. Our fullness must be in Jesus. So they weep. And they say, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Have you ever said that? Lord, why don't you just let me go? Let me die. It's too hard. I can't make it. I'm dying anyway. Why don't you just finish this thing? It's ugly. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Why did he give me this when it turns sour in my mouth? Why did he do that? and I have to wait and wait and wait and wait. I'm sick of waiting. Just let me die. That's what the children of Israel were saying. And please, I have to say one word on behalf of the children of Israel because they're my brothers and sisters. They have had only the security of being Slaves of labor, of being beat up in the sun, of working nonstop, day after day, and then getting the lash of the whip on their back. That's been their experience. So now God is going to take them into the promised land, and frankly, it only takes two days to go from Egypt to the promised land. And it's been year after year in the desert. The word says the Lord could not take them on a direct route out of Egypt because had he taken them on a direct route, they would have faced the Philistines and they would have turned back to Egypt. So God had to take them through the Red Sea and close the Red Sea behind them so that if they tried to escape, they would die of thirst in the desert. Do you today know what it's like to be unable to escape from the desert of God? And know that if you try, you're going to die? And now, this manna. Sick of this manna. I mean, try eating graham crackers every day as your diet for a year. I haven't done it for a year, but I have for a month. Maybe three months, graham crackers every day. With milk. And the first few days, they tasted wonderful. And after a while, they made me sick. but it was my daily diet because the hotel gave only graham crackers and milk and there was no money to buy food. On behalf of the children of Israel, their diet was not a very rich diet for the palate of people who want gourmet food. The promised land was gourmet food. Flowing with milk and honey. So what have they experienced? Well, so far they've experienced the fire of God burning the outskirts of camp. They've experienced the punishment of God in the desert, the whippings of God in the desert. They've experienced pain and turmoil the good side is that their clothes don't wear out, but maybe they didn't like those shoes in the first place, but they just won't wear out. Maybe they didn't like their clothes, but the clothes won't wear out. Have you ever worn something and you say, Would this thing just wear out so I can finally get something new? Would this car please break down and blow up and burst in flame so I could finally have a reason to get a new car? Come on, enough. I mean, I understand the children of Israel saying, look, we can't risk everything now. Why? Because their idol was their prison. The desert had become their idol. And they could see no possible way they could leave the desert and live if they left their idol behind they were going to die. So we might as well die enjoying the manna, even though we hate it. At least we know what to expect here. I can spend hours in the prayer closet. I can read my Bible. I can, I can pray. I can do all of these things, and I can gain a great amount of enjoyment out of it. But the Lord says, are the lost being saved? Are the sinners coming to me? why don't you come on into the promised land and I'll save the sinners? I'll defeat the enemy. Or do you just want to stay where you're at and say, okay, Lord, I won't leave you now, but when things get at a certain level, I'm out of here, God. No. No. Have you ever said that to the Lord? Okay, Lord, but when I get out of here, then I'm going to take some time to just veg and play. So the children of Israel, finally... They're going to stone Moses. They're going to choose a new leader and they're going to go back home. They say we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt as though they can open the Red Sea, right? Finally, the Lord comes and he says, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Do you understand that an idol in your heart is treating God with contempt. An idol in your heart is treating God with contempt. If you think that money is your answer, you are treating God with contempt. If you think a wife or a husband is your answer, you are treating God with contempt. How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you, Moses, into a nation greater and stronger than they. Oh, God is testing Moses' heart. Is he angry with these people? Does he want God to wipe him out so he can be somebody? No. He argues with God. He intercedes for the people. How much time have you spent this week interceding for the lost, the sinners? Have you spent any time interceding for them? If you want to please the Lord, you're going to have to get Moses' heart where he begins to weep for the people of Israel and say, oh God, spare them, spare them. Verse 17, Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people. And the Lord replies, I have forgiven them, and I'm going to send them to die in the desert. Guys, I want much more than God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness of my sin will not suffice because the children of Israel were forgiven, and then 40 years they wandered in the desert until all of the men had died. I don't want to die in the desert I need forgiveness. I need that separation utterly and completely. And that's a work that God must do in my heart. And it's a painful work. Because he wants real separation from my sin. But after the separation from my sin must come the anointing power of Pentecost on my life. So that I have the power for the lost to be saved. I must have the power to part the Jordan River and to enter into the promised land. Jericho's walls must come down. The cities must be taken captive by the power of God. Now, the children of Israel said, after they're told they've got to go back to the desert and spend the next 40 years and they're going to all die in the desert, they said, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We've sinned against God. Okay, guys, let's go take the land. And off they go to try to do in their flesh what can only be done in the spirit of the living God and they are utterly defeated, and they are beat down, and they are killed by the Amalekites and the Canaanites. This issue of idols is paramount in the mind of God. And I would ask you to examine your time and your energy and your life and determine what you are doing in your flesh versus what you are doing in the spirit of the living God? Where have you established idols in your life and in your heart? If we look, please, just at chapter 5 of 1 John, I want to show you what I mean that the whole book of 1 John is wrapped up around this final statement, protect yourselves from the idols. It is a defensive posture that we must take against the idols that would insinuate themselves into our hearts and lives. The book of John particularly deals with a heresy called docetism. Docetism is a belief that Jesus, that Christ did not come in bodily form. That he came upon Jesus the man at the baptism. And he left Jesus the man before the crucifixion. So Jesus is not the Christ when he dies on Calvary. That's Docetism. Then Gnosticism was the other great heresy of the day. And Gnosticism simply taught that the spirit of a man was pure and clean, like gold. And that if that gold were dipped down into a sewer and drawn out, as soon as it's washed, the gold is untarnished without sin. And so they taught the flesh is evil and that you could walk in every kind of evil behavior with your flesh, but you were still of God, you were still pure gold inside. And thus came the sinning Christian in the Calvinistic Gnosticism of our day. And so John chapter 5 verse 1, everyone believing that Jesus is the Christ has been born out of God. You understand now, they did not believe that Jesus and Christ were synonymous. They believed they were two separate beings, one a physical and one a spirit. And he's saying, everyone believing that Jesus is the Christ. Is the Messiah. Has been born out of God. And everyone loving the one having given birth, also loves the one having been born out of him. By this we know that we love the children of God as long as we may love God and may keep his commands. Now the love of God is this, that we may keep his commands... And his commands are not difficult, for everyone who has been born out of God overcomes the world. Now we're dealing with Gnosticism. First he dealt with Docetism, now he's dealing with Gnosticism. Everyone that has been born out of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory having overcome the world. Our faith, our faith in the rhema word that Jesus is the Christ. Who is the one overcoming the world if not the one believing that Jesus is the Son of God or is the Christ? So if you try to separate the Christ from Jesus, you're a heretic and you will not overcome sin. This is the one having come through water and the blood. This is in reference first to the baptism of Jesus. And the crucifixion of Jesus. Okay, because they said Christ came on Jesus at the baptism and escaped before the crucifixion. And John is saying, no, Jesus was the Christ, he was baptized as the Christ, and he was crucified as the Christ. He continues. And the Spirit is the one witnessing, because the Spirit is the truth. For the one witnessing, there are three, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are as one in agreement. Okay, now, verse 12. The one having the Son has life. On the condition of not having the Son of God, he does not have life. So if you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, you will have no power to overcome sin. You cannot be forgiven. These things I wrote to you, the ones believing on the name of the Son of God, in order that you may know you have eternal life. Now he's calling him the Son of God because he's combining Jesus and the Christ As the Son of God, in order that you may know you have eternal life, that you may keep on believing on the name of the Son of God. Now, please, what John is really saying is lay aside all of your idols, don't create some theology that allows you to continue walking in darkness. You can overcome the sin, you can overcome the sin now, if you believe that Jesus and the Christ are one. They are the Son of God. And this is the confidence, verse 14, we have toward him, that if we may ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we may ask, We know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Well, what is the context of this passage? It is to be absolutely certain that we are saved, that we have overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. That we have victory over sin. If anyone may see his brother sinning, a sin not leading to death, he will ask and he will give life to him. What is the sin that leads to death? We don't have time to study that today, but it is the offense against the Holy Spirit and the denial of the Holy Spirit because he said there are three witnesses. There is the water, there is the blood, and there is the Holy Spirit. And if you deny the Holy Spirit, you have denied the water and you've denied the blood. You've denied that Jesus Christ is one the son of god so he's saying if you are not sinning a sin leading to death that is if you are not denying the power of the holy spirit he will come to you and he will convict you of sin you may pray for that one he will give life to him and to the one not sinning unto death There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he may ask concerning that sin. All unrighteousness is sin. And yet there is a sin not unto death. So all of our sin can be removed, it can be forgiven in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Now, verse 18 and this gets right to the heart of this. We know that everyone having been born out of God, and who is born out of God? The one believing that Jesus is the Christ, is the Son of God, who has overcome the world, who has overcome sin. We know everyone having born out of God is not sinning. But the one having been born out of God is continually keeping himself, and the wicked one is not touching him. How does the wicked one touch us? By establishing idols in our heart, by introducing substitutions to being totally in Christ Jesus. We know that we are out of God, but the whole world lies in the sphere of the wicked one. There is is only one way to leave the sphere of the wicked one. And by the way, In Scripture, the desert is the sphere of the wicked one. You see that plainly as Jesus is sent into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. The the wilderness is not where God would have us dwell. It's where he may have to send us and does send us so that we can go through what Jesus Christ went through, where he is tested by the enemy, and found to be finally innocent, and we are made innocent by the water and the blood, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that we are out of God, but the whole world lies in the sphere of the wicked one. We must go as a fellowship into the sphere of the wicked ones, the desert, to take back from him what he has stolen from God. We know that the Son of God has already come and has given understanding to us so that we may know the true one and we are in the true one, in his Son, Christ Jesus. He doesn't by accident say Christ Jesus. He's he's right on point. This one is the true God and life eternal. Little children, you must protect yourselves from the idols. Do You understand? You must protect yourselves from those who would take away from the power of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God to remove sin from your heart. And you must protect yourself from the idols. For the idols are ravaging demonic powers that will try to become familiar spirits in our lives to comfort us in our misery in the desert. Egypt is referred to in Scripture as the desert, as the world, as the flesh. So today I urge you, don't be like the children of Israel who wanted to stay in the desert or who tried to get out of the desert. By flesh means there has to be a walking forward and putting our feet at the command of God into the Jordan River and having it open before us. Deliverance from the desert comes after having been fed by God in the desert with righteousness and walking holy before him. May the Lord add his blessing to the word. Listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon.
2: of his
3: glory with great joy with great joy to the only God W.A.